Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a photog adventure of your own. It's episode 103, and this marks, I believe, our fourth patron-only podcast. And I need to excuse Brendan. He is home with the family. He's not able to join me tonight. But I'm not alone, as you know, with the milk, with these it, these interviews. And you've already read the title. You know that I'm hanging out with Matthew Newman. But I am not going to be alone tonight because I'm going to talk to a guy that I just want to hear his stories. We are going to hear his story from Crater Lake, hear his stories working as the, well, let's just introduce him as one of 2018's Astronomy Photographer of the Year. He is actually in their book. The Astronomy Photographer of the Year, beautiful printing. It has his images telling his story. Makes me very, very jealous. Hey, Matt. Hey, how's it going? Hey, it's awesome to have you on. I mean, if I can't have Brendan hanging out with me, it's good to have another Milky Way photographer who talks in the same way. I mean, in the time that we've <laughs> talked before we started recording, he was saying how, and then I, you know, drove back home and I had to get right to work right away without any sleep. I was up for 48 straight hours that day. So he, is, he has done what a lot of us have done by being out all night long. He is a nocturnal astrophotographer, and that is something on the back of behind him right now in the image I'm seeing him on Skype. He's got a beautiful picture of Crater Lake. He's been doing this for, you said five years now you've been doing Mookie photography? Yeah, almost five years. Almost five years. So Matthew Newman, if you want to earn any credibility, sometimes we point to our Instagram, and Matthew is one of those who can point to an Instagram following that is fantastic. And you were just telling me a crazy story about your Instagram. He currently right now, you said 50 56k. I haven't pulled up the information directly on Instagram, so I'll pull up those specific numbers. But man, you have 56,000 followers on Instagram. But tell everybody what you told me about how this ride went. Well, basically, uh, I yeah, I got into wide field astrophotography about four and a half, almost five years ago, and uh, I got an email one day from somebody that worked at Instagram and they said, Hey, we're interested in interviewing you and featuring your account. And at first I was like, I double checked the email address. Like, okay, is this really right. somebody from Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Why yeah. would you assume? Exactly. It, they're from Nigeria and they need help yeah, getting their money. Exactly. That's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> and so, uh, so sure enough, it was, you know, an at Instagram.com, uh, e- email. And so I was like, sure. Yeah, of course I want to do that. And uh, so we did a phone interview, talked for probably 20, 30 minutes, and the gal did a write-up on me. And uh, yeah, it was crazy. So then when you jumped into Instagram, how long ago was it? Brendan and I, we are telling ourselves that we're just a little too late to the party. Obviously, we're happy with the numbers that we have, but we're celebrating that we just barely hit 2,000 followers, and it's been two years of doing this. We're doing some stuff wrong for sure and some other things that we could do better and post more, but we always kind of console ourselves with, well, you know, we, we came to this late. Is there such a thing as late? When did you start? Um, you know, I think I actually probably started my account in 2013, but I didn't really start using it until 2014. 
So kind of right when I was starting to really do night photography is when I started using it regularly. So 2014. 2014. And I don't, I was checking your numbers. You're at 56.2 thousand followers. So almost 56 and a half followers. Yeah. 56, 56 and a half thousand followers. And you said something that I don't know if you said just now while I was looking this up or something that we were talking about before, because something crazy happened with Instagram where they actually followed you. Instagram's account themselves followed Matthew Newman Photography. Yeah, it was really crazy. So I had about ten and a half thousand followers that I had gained organically in like fifteen months, which is crazy to think that I was able to do that. Yeah, but I was getting I was getting featured on a lot of uh, the night photography pages that were up at the time, and um, so that was that was how I built it up organically. Well, the night or the day that they featured me, I literally went from ten and a half thousand followers to like twenty four thousand followers. So the week you said a week later you became that many, right? No, it was in a day. It was it seriously in a day. In a day. It, it was seriously in a day. Like what? I, what? I was getting so many notifications on my Instagram, I actually <laughs> had to turn off my phone because it was getting hot. It would be the best news and the most so, annoying thing to constantly and it actually warmed up your phone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then and then oh my uh, gosh. and then like about about uh, uh, five months later, all of a sudden my phone just starts lighting up with notifications again, and I'm like, oh, "What really? is going?" Yeah, it's five months later, and I'm just like, "What's going on?" And <laughs> I have I have some of my close friends like, "Hey, do you realize that Instagram is actually following your page?" And they only follow a couple hundred pages at a time. And it's usually it's usually accounts that they featured or celebrities. How do I so, find Instagram's page right now? I'm curious. <laughs> celebrities. He made the joke earlier to me that I'm going to jump your gun here. That he's saying he was followed. Instagram followed him and followed Justin Timberlake. So you were in like <laughs> com- company with Instagram's following of Justin Timberlake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was crazy. And so from that point, I, the following just exploded like every day. Wow, they have 212 followers. That's who they're following. 212 yeah. people right I think now. At the, I think at the time when they were following my account for the year, it was like they had 198 accounts they were following. Whoa, that's such a freaking crazy cool honor. Wow, yeah. I'm jealous. So We detected an unusual login attempt. So Instagram is blocking me unless I get a send security code because I'm on a different <laughs> Chrome account user. Awesome. Well, I can't find out who those followers are right now. It's probably yeah. Borat and the real Donald <laughs> Trump or something stupid like that. But man, they had a photographer who's doing Milky photography that they were following and it was you. Were yeah. you there with Michael Shaneblum or was he someone you saw in that grouping of people they followed? You know, he, it's funny, Shane Bloom actually wasn't, you know, um, yeah, there were, there weren't really like, I think it around the time that they were, I think about a month before they unfollowed me, another photographer who they started following who I was like, yes, Jimmy Chin. Um, do you know who Jimmy Chin is? He's, he's, uh, he's professional rock climber, uh, outdoor, you know, North Face athlete photographer, and so they started. They were following Jimmy Chin, and yeah, I don't know him, no. Yeah, so Jimmy Chin is just like as far as like outdoor athletes and photographer artists. This he's pretty much the man. Oh, okay. So now I'm looking at Jimmy Chin, but I'm not finding the right one. I don't think because he should have more than eight thousand five hundred. No, yeah, he's got he's he's got a few million. <laughs> um, 
So Matt's, Matt's credibility comes from this amazing experience of being one of the astronomy photographers of the year of 2018, as well as Instagram credibility. It's just amazing. Royce Bear has 100 plus thousand followers in Milky Way photography, and he makes us incredibly jealous as that was just his hard work and effort went in to make that page what it is today. You put in years of hard work and effort with yours. How do you keep, like for someone who is thinking right now, I want to grow my Instagram. Have you been able to tell the difference now between what's going on back then that you could say, here's what you should do? Well, since Facebook has taken over Instagram and pretty much slaughtered it. Oh, you feel like they <laughs> slaughtered it then. I, I, I hate mm. to say it, but like <laughs> in order to get the followings now, like I don't honestly know how you can do it because it used to be hashtags. Hashtags worked great, and now hashtags don't even work that great. So hmm. I'm, I honestly don't know. It's like it's always this ever-changing thing. So when people always ask me that, I'm like, I just say hashtags because that was what I did. But the thing is, is the like I said, the hashtag categories it just doesn't work the same like it did. That's sad to hear, but it's also yeah. vindicating, as Brendan and I like to console ourselves with. Ah, oh, absolutely, too late. we're too late. We yeah. would have been amazingly popular. <laughs> That's just our <laughs> our bra- our bravado, our bragging, like not humble personality saying that. Yeah. We'd be huge if we would have started five years ago, right. but maybe yeah, not. There, <laughs> there's something to be said for it, though. I think, I think honestly, had you guys started then, it would have made a difference. <sighs> five years ago, 2013, I was just barely working 70-plus hour weeks for Disney, and I thought I was in the <laughs> happiest place on Earth. Well, I mean, that's a funny way of saying it because that's what they call Disney, the happiest place on Earth. Right. I was working with Pixar. I was on phone calls where I wasn't really allowed to say anything. I could if I wanted to. And one time I did and I felt amazing. But I was on phone calls with Pixar talking to them. And now, even though I'm saying he's one of my heroes, I can't pull his name up while I'm trying to not have to edit this podcast. I feel like an idiot right now. I love him. He's one of my heroes. He wears Hawaiian shirts all the time. Do you know who I'm talking about? One of the founders of Pixar? Why can't I think of his name? One of the major directors, sure. creative geniuses. I love this dude. He's an amazing animator and artist, and his name is... I still can't find him. Wikipedia, you're letting me down. I know Catmull is one of them. <laughs> Catmull actually went to school here at the University of Utah, and so we're really pr- proud of having Ed Catmull. But John Lasseter, oh my gosh. So oh, D. Yeah. John Lasseter is on the phone yeah. asking questions about Disney Infinity and stuff that we were going to do with their Pixar properties. And I had a chance to answer a question, and so he listened to me. And I was like, ah, yes, this is what my dream was, to work with these kind of people in the (laughs) film industry, then the animation industry. And I just felt like I was so happy. But if only only someone would have known and said, hey, Aaron King, you love Milky Way stuff. You love photography. Start doing it now. Don't wait till later. Don't start in 2016. It's a waste. Well, okay, it's not a waste at all. But it could have been (laughs) so much bigger. (laughs) So Matt Newman, if you guys don't know him already, you can learn more about Matt at his website, MatthewNewmanPhotography.com. If you're a Seinfeld fan, Newman is spelled like Newman. New man. And spell MatthewNewmanPhotography.com. And you can check out his Instagram. Same thing, Matthew Newman Photography. You can find his work 
work there, learn more about him. He comes from Medford, Oregon, and he's a Milky Way photographer, wide field astrophotographer. He has done private instruction, adventuring, and I wanted to say that in 2016, oh yeah, I mentioned that already with you, but he's had his work featured with U.S. Department of Interior, Crater Lake National Park, the Grand Tetons National Park, Canon, USA, REI, Yakima, and Earth Sky. All these people have featured his work since 2016. So we all want to be Matthew Newman. So we're going to learn more about Matthew Newman and hear an awesome Crater Lake story. So let me just ask one last thing about Instagram if anyone has a question, but is there something you know? Well, let's, let's, let's skip Instagram. You did the yeah. contest. We're going to talk about the contest later. So I'm going to save right. this question for you later, but you can think about it now. Is there something you would do? Okay, let's say, let's say it this way. If there's anything that you would have wished you had done from the beginning, something you know now that you wish you had done from the beginning, I'm going to come back to you with that question when we get to your talking about the Astronomy Photographer of the Year. Because there's people out there who are just barely getting into it. Some names that come to mind that have really great Milky Way photography are Brian Miller, Phil Sisto. These guys have really cool work. And there's a lot of other people, and I'm sorry not to mention all of your names from the listener group, because you guys have amazing photography. And how do you, how do you get noticed? How do you do something? How do you do something to get noticed? And so what do you know now, Matthew, that you wish you knew then? We'll come back to that question later. But, Matthew, you had an adventure in Crater Lake. We love Crater Lake. We have workshops to go to Crater Lake, but only in June. We never go there before June because it's blocked off, snowed in. And yet you went to Crater Lake in February? Yes. I actually... uh... I consider Crater Lake to be in my backyard because Crater Lake is about 80 miles away from where I live. And over the course of the last four and a half years, I've probably spent at least 50 nights up there shooting. Wow. Uh, all times of the year, too. Uh, it was it was the type of situation where I pretty much would go up at least once a month. And uh, so I went up, I went up this uh, past February to try and I wasn't trying to recreate a shot. I just had a desire to go back to literally the place where I captured a shot three years earlier that basically established my career as an astrophotographer. And Um, that is on the rim where at? So that is actually, it's actually on the West Rim up at the Watchman Fire Lookout. So it's up at about 8,025 feet is the summit, I believe, of the Watchman. But in order to get there in the wintertime, it means that you are snowshoeing or skiing almost four miles to get there each way. Yeah. With the pathway that the cars can drive at that point, do they stop you back at the lodge and you have to hike in from there? Do they have some open street? No, you basically, you're pretty much like when I go out, I snowshoe. So I was snowshoeing from the Rim Village. Okay. And so you're you're basically snowshoeing on the snow-covered road. Oh. So, yeah. And so when I got there, uh, it was, I think it was around 5 p.m. The sun was just about to set. And uh, I looked at the temperature in my car and it said it was already 16 degrees out. 16, right? Six zero? Six, one, one six. Oh man, and that's before you start going up there where and this, it's going to be yeah, windy. And, this is, and the sun is setting, so the sun isn't even down yet. Oh, and man. I, get, I, I get out of the car and it's windy, and I, I had checked the forecast beforehand, and it said it was going to be down like maybe the single digits, but it said the wind was only going to be about five or six miles an hour. Which is pretty med- pretty mild. Yeah. But when but the cold... I, 
but I got there and it was already 16 degrees and it was probably already gusting 10 to 15. Oh, wow. And so were I you had alone to make, or were you with anyone yes. else? No, I, I frequently go into the backcountry or crater like alone, but, um, a huge part of it is that I'm like, I'm a pretty extreme outdoorsman, <laughs> which has allowed me to do pretty extreme stuff for my astrophotography, especially at Crater Lake. Stuff that you would and, recommend most people do, but you had the no, experience and know-how, huh? Yeah, I definitely put disclaimers on some of these when I tell the backstories, because <laughs> most people just see the beautiful picture and they have no idea what the like the truth of the situation was. Oh, right. But uh, yeah, so I get out of my car at 16 degrees. It's already blowing 10 to 15 miles an hour. And I have to make the call like, okay, am I going to go do this tonight? Or am I going to just hop back in the car and drive back to Medford? Because, you know, I I realize this is like going to be a really sketchy night, you know? Right. And you know that Um, the Milky Way is coming up way later in the morning. You're getting in position for like, what, 3, 4 a.m.? 4 a.m. Yeah. 4 and, and so uh, I started the hike. I Well, so when I, tra- when I travel around in the backcountry in the winter, uh, I wear an alpine harness and I actually pull my stuff in a sled because I don't like carrying the weight, the load on my shoulders because I'm carrying survival gear and camera oh. gear. And so I'm snowshoeing, pulling a sled, but my sled's got probably 70 to 80 pounds worth of gear in it. Wow. So it's kind of... It's kind of like I'm dragging my 13-year-old son through the snow for four miles. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, So wait, real quick. Draw yeah. the picture for us better on the Alpine harness. Is that something that puts the weight at the small of your back or at the so, shoulder blades or the weight on the waist? It's on the waist. It's so basically waist. basically it's like a, it's just a climbing harness without the padding. So okay. it's what it's what you would use if you're doing uh, you know Alpine traverses and you're, you're roped together for crevasses. Just it's just a it's just a thin webbing harness basically. Right on. I mean that sounds fantastic when you think about it because you can't do that in any other conditions. No, it would just cause drag. And yet with the snow, how bad yeah. did it feel? Do you have any feeling for it was easier than a regular hike? Or well, was it's, it... it's it's definitely for me personally, it's definitely easier than hauling the load on my back. Yeah, I can imagine. So, but when you're going when you're trying to go uphill, like where the watchman is, pulling. Like I said, it's like dragging my 13-year-old son through the snow <laughs> it didn't uphill. Feel that easy. <laughs> you know, and so when you get to the part where you actually have to go up to the Watchmen, it's like you're dragging a body behind you, which is not fun because it's so steep that you're just like, okay, if I slip now, I'm gonna be going for a ride. Because <laughs> you'll be <laughs> pulled not, by the anchor. <laughs> yes, and it's not gonna be a fun ride either. <laughs> not a really cool extreme snowboarding experience down a hill. It's gonna be just a fall and hope that you don't don't die. Yeah, don't perish. <laughs> <laughs> so then, coming up, you said you had crampons and snowshoes, or just yeah. big snowshoes. Yeah. So I had snowshoes with me. I actually had crampons with me. I had an ice axe with me. Uh, I always take rope in the winter because when I'm traveling around crater lake in the winter time i always i always wear the harness and i usually have a 50 foot static line with me and it's just because the snow cornices along the rim um you know when you're getting close to the edge you have no idea if it's like solid snow or if it's just a giant snow cornice yikes did this trail have to go over some of those to get there it, no, it didn't. But oh, I knew I knew once I got up to the top of the lookout uh, with as much snow as there was that year, I knew it was just going to be like basically where you'd normally stand would basically be a giant snowball. And oh, so it's boy. like a giant snowball down to a 2000 foot drop to the lake. 
So I, I needed the protection. I knew I had to have the protection, especially by myself. The, you know, there was risk management. Risk management with my pictures is like a very real thing. <laughs> yeah, there's no photo uh, adventure showing up late and just grab what you can and don't forget your Lumi Loop. You're planning yeah. this adventure like you're yeah. going up an Everest like climb. It, yeah, it really is because I, I mean, I was putting gear together the night before and I'm like laying everything out, like strategically thinking like <laughs> every worst case scenario, like can I self rescue basically? And oh, so really? it's, it's pretty intense. Are, is there so. any traffic near the rim village at this time of year? No, nobody. Uh, occasionally you'll see people. There are people that will uh, sometimes snowshoe or cross country ski and they'll actually do a circumnavigate around the lake, which is 35 miles. Oh, cool. So uh, occasionally you might see people like that, um, but it's it's pretty rare. As far I mean, as as far as rangers go, would someone notice your vehicle parked there for a day and look for you before it's too late? Yeah, um, I think, you know, generally if you go on the backcountry, you want to get a backcountry permit, they're free there. But oftentimes since I'm doing night photography and I'm usually just going out and then coming back first thing, I don't get one because I get up there too late before the rangers yeah. stations, you know, closed. And you're they're, gone long before they ever are there. Yeah. So in that case, I actually just left a note on my windshield and I oh, said, good. I said, okay, I'm going to the Watchman fire lookout. I said, I will be back by 1 PM tomorrow. And then you so, have a date on that paper so they can see yeah. that and go, he didn't make it. Let's go find right. him. Right. And he's somewhere hanging off a cornice with his extra line <laughs> of rope that's protecting him from exactly. falling any further. But yeah. his anchor, he's already long cut. His camera gear is in the lake, and he's yeah. just hoping to survive. <laughs> well, usually, usually I tie off the camera gear, too, so it will at least I can catch it. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> the, cam- the, you know, the lens may get destroyed, but at least I can pull back that memory card and hopefully still have the pictures. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> easier to get insurance when you still have the gear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the lens yeah. break. So now you're climbing up this and you said you arrived at 16 degrees did you have any way of measuring the cold as you I, kept going i didn't but i i knew by the forecast it was supposed to be in the single digits Yikes. and so as i was as i was traveling the west rim road um it was about the only place that i had any break in the wind all night and i ended up stopping took a selfie there uh of uh, the tail end of the Milky Way and this awesome zodiacal light that was coming up yes. to the, from the left of me. And it was just this awesome shot because it was like the only calm and still that I had the whole night. <laughs> and so I captured that and I pushed on because I still probably had another almost two miles to go. And uh, as I started going up the mountain, um, I kind of there was a point where I was like, because uh, the wind was just getting fierce, and I know I'm going to the top of a mountain where the wind is just going to be worse. as bad as it can be, and so, <laughs> so I, as as I'm making my way up the Watchman Peak, I get about halfway, and I think I stop for, for a second. I actually think to myself like. Hmm, maybe I should go down lower on the rim, but I'm like, well, it's going to be just as windy there and I'm already halfway up the mountain. So just keep going. It's like, <laughs> it's kind of like Dory in Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. <laughs> just you know, keep just, swimming. Just keep stepping. Just keep <laughs> stepping. Yeah. You know? Oh, so man. Uh, now, how what are these steps like climbing a ladder at that point, that much of an incline or is it um, different? It's it's it starts getting close to that um, because I actually have these elevator lifts in my uh, snowshoes heel lifts, and so I, I will those. 
I will actually engage those when I'm going up a steep hill like that, especially pulling all that weight in the sled behind me because I need to be really digging into the snow. So I'm not familiar with what that means. I've never done the mountaineering that has those. So you have these heel lifts that don't just give you height so girls find you more attractive. They actually (laughs) help you in an incline climb like that? Yeah, so what it does is the heel lift is part of the snowshoe, and it's a little bar that you just flip up, and it lifts your shoe up. So it's more like you're on stairs stepping. And you're permanently at that angle with your heel up. Yeah, so yeah. so it's literally like you're going up steps at that point. And that helps it's, more because oh, yeah. less movement and less what? Yeah, because there's there's basically a crampon on the bottom of the snowshoe and side rails that have grippers, and so those dig into the snow. Mm-hmm. And so it basically keeps you dug into the snow. So it's a gain in traction then by doing yes, that. Yes, big okay. time. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, – Continued up and I'm getting closer to the top at this point. Like I know I've been up there many times. I've been up there one other time in the winter. Um, I've, and, uh, but I'm just kind of like, how close am I getting? So I'm pulling up <laughs> my phone, pulling up Google maps to see how close I am to the point. You can still and see I'm your like, blue GPS point at that spot. Yeah. yeah okay. I, can, I, I can actually see my location <laughs> and I'm like, okay, it's just straight ahead. I just have to keep going. Did and Google so, offer you a faster path at this point. You well, could save eight minutes going this way. <laughs> no, at this at this point, I was literally just like, "Where's the Where's the peak of the mountain? I'm going for it." Because if you go too if you go too far to the north, there's a huge drop off down towards the road, and so oh, there's yikes. a there's a ridge that you pretty much if you go that far to the left, you just follow the ridge straight up. But um, I was kind of trying to split the difference in the happy medium of where the actual trail is. Gotcha. And uh, I was probably a couple hundred feet um, from the summit, and I was getting to the point where I was just like, I'm like, how much further is it? Can I, do, <laughs> can I even do this any longer? Should I keep and, going? And so I, then I, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to unhook my sled. Hopefully it won't slide all the way down the mountain here because I – I probably, you know, I set it up against uh, some trees because I'm like, I have to see how close I am because I was just so physically exhausted. And uh, so I, so I get up to the top and uh, I, I wind up, uh, I realize, okay, it's pretty close, but I'm like, oh man, this last like snow berm that I have to get the sled up over is going to be brutal. And so it's like I'm on all fours at that point, pulling the wow, sled really? up to get up there. Yeah. And so I, so I so I get up there, I get up to the lookout, and I take the sled off, and I walk up to where you can normally stand, where there's a viewpoint and guardrail and stuff. And it's like I said, it's a giant snowball at this point. And so I go up there, and I'm like, "Yep, I definitely need the crampons, and I definitely need the rope." And so, uh, but this at this point, the wind is. 15 to 20 miles an hour sustained. Ooh. I mean, it, it was intense. And I just happened to check like a wind chart um, just the other day. Cause I was curious, like what that, tra- what that transferred into as far as wind chill and knowing that the, the temps up there were probably in the low single digits. It was so, with that wind, it was between minus 15 and minus, minus 30 Fahrenheit. Oh, wow. That's incredibly cold, windy and blowing everything. How did you even begin to set up cameras? So I still, so I I left at six. I got up to the summit at 1145 PM. It almost took me five hours to get up there. Uh, When I, when I did it three years ago, it only took me two hours. 
Um, and the difference was just higher levels of snow. Yeah. Higher levels of snow. Plus I was carrying more gear because I knew I was going into kind of a sketchier situation as a whole. Smart guy. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was rough. So I knew I had four hours before the milk was going to rise. And so it was too windy up there and there wasn't any level ground to set up a tent. So I just set up my, I threw my sleep pad in my sled and my sleeping bag and bag liner in on top of the sled and just hunkered down behind the lookout at the base of the lookout. Oh, really? We had, had a little bit of a windbreak, but um, <laughs> at this point I climb into my sleeping bag and even though I'm wearing tons of clothing and I'm in this, you know, 19 degree bag that's got a bag liner. So it's about a zero degree bag. Oh. I'm still cold. And so I'm like, this is bad. And, you know, and so I'm you like, four hours to go and you're still cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm like, so I grab an emergency blanket, actually tape the emergency blanket around my sleeping bag, just as more like wind protection. Yeah, yeah. And nice. so I'm hunkered in my sleeping bag, and it was the only time in, you know, four and a half years of shooting night photography and literally doing just insane things for my pictures <laughs> that I was laying there and actually said to myself, what in the world am I doing here? Yeah, right. And. Yeah, I've never once ever had that thought even cross my mind for my <laughs> pictures. But I was like, there was nothing to prove. And but at that point, I was already up there. And I, I didn't have the energy to go back down to where, you know, potentially it was safer ground because I was so exhausted. So oh, you needed to rest no matter what. Yeah, I just had to hang out up there at that point because I was so spent. Whoa. And so, Jeez. so I'm at, so I'm in my sleeping bag. I set a couple alarms. I probably got an hour and a half of sleep maybe because <laughs> with that wind, I had trees that weren't directly over me, but it had snowed the night before. So there was like snow and chunks of ice. And so the wind would come and it would like, you know, rain down on my sleeping bag <laughs> and just all the thud on top of the emergency blanket and so I didn't get much sleep. I would be afraid of sleeping through the morning now, being so exhausted and not hearing that alarm. And yet nature didn't allow you to really get into a very good REM sleep. There, there was no REM sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So, so yeah, the alarms go off and I'm like, okay, it's time to get up. And, you know, I, I have, I've been out with some other photographers who can sleep through alarms and, uh, <laughs> somehow I, I always managed, they always wake me up because I always set two or three. Plus I was so just, I couldn't sleep. It was too cold. Right. So I was like, okay, I just got to get up and like get, get the job done. How much and time did you give yourself before the Milky Way was going to be visible? I think I, I think I set my alarm maybe for three thirty. Okay. And so, because my plan was to shoot some big, almost 360 degree panos and I was shooting like two row panos, uh, Ooh, with yeah. my, with my 14 millimeter. Yes. And so it was like massive panos. You got to go fast to get those in. Yeah. And so here I am, I get up, strap on the crampons, go up there. I set my anchor for my rope on the lookout. So that way I have something that I'm anchored to Good. check nice. it, check it, check it all out and realize it's 15 to 20 mile an hour sustained wind coming up <laughs> from the lake. Oh, so it's hitting, so it's, hit, so it's hitting me in the face and right at your lens, blowing crap at your lens. Yeah. And yeah. how's your tripod doing holding this very well. So, so the tripod actually did okay, but you know, with that much wind is a headwind. Uh, 
instead of my typical 30 second exposures, I'm like, I'm doing 25 seconds because I don't even know if I'm going to be able to keep this thing still for 25 seconds with this much right, weight. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. And so, uh, I'm trying to shoot two row panos too. So I've got like 20 frames with my 14 millimeter for these panos. They're just <laughs> massive. And so, you know, that's five minutes, you know, of exposure time, right. you know, to shoot that whole pano. And, you know, a few times, you know, I looked down at the back of the screen and I could barely see the screen cause my eyes are watering from the <laughs> <Really>? wind and, <laughs> Uh, you know, a few of them I could tell were blurry, so I reshot them. Um, and then, you know, I was—I basically shot for hour and a half or two hours, just getting pummeled, just getting um, everything you could because you're there. Let's make yeah, just, sure I go home with something. Well, just, just, yeah. And at that point, I—I I was still like, I was—I kind of felt like I didn't get anything. You know, I'm looking at the back of my screen. I'm like, it looks cool, but. You know, I'm going to get home. These are the stars. Everything's just going to be blurry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, I had a uh, a metal panorama head that I was using. And because it was so cold, even though I had these gloves that were pretty dexterous, you know, I could I had good dexterity with them. Um, with the cold, like things, just everything was freezing. Oh. And so I actually – so again, it's, you know, 15 to 30 below – with the wind chill. Yeah. And so I, I kept taking my gloves off to like handle this metal bracket. Oh man. Why? And, oh, that's a terrible time to use the metal bracket. Yeah, it was, it was rough. And so, uh, so I didn't even stay for sunrise up there. I started heading back down before, like as you know, twilight was hitting, I got my shot that actually got featured in, uh, universe today. Uh, ultimate guide to viewing the cosmos which shot is that the, so which that one, like the one that is ultimately featured is it the one that's called infinity or is that a different time that you went out there because I'm, I'm seeing on your website the crater lake national park gallery and looking at yeah. a lot of snowy shots <laughs> you know it's funny i don't think i have it on my website you don't it's even like, have it on your website yet hi i need to put it on there uh, <laughs> so i just wrote this backstory and posted it on facebook so the picture's on facebook um i'm gonna pull that up then but, i got a picture uh, of you then that was when you went was the selfie shot that's from this year yeah, so the selfie shot on there, and then uh, there were there was the panorama where you can actually see the rope connected to the watchman. I was just gonna mention, I could see that you got yourself anchored right there. Yeah, I, I, I like intentionally left it in the shot so people could see that like I'm secure, I'm not, I can't fall. Yeah, and there's no reason to clone that out. It doesn't ruin the shot at all. Right, it's great right. context. It's awesome. Right. right, and then so the other picture that was kind of the the kind of dawn twilight shot was the one that actually got featured in the universe today book oh okay so that dawn twilight one you've got astro twilight yeah. still so you could yeah. see the milky way it's just very very blue and you got that really nice golden right. rim out there that's right. cool right that's and a really so, cool shot so i decided to call that I, that backstory frozen to the core because because <laughs> it's like a play on astrophotography and the fact that i was freezing my butt off Oh my so, gosh, I'm not familiar with the Universe Today book. There's a lot of things out there that are publishing all yeah. sorts of photography, and I haven't even got myself on their radar because I don't know them. What is okay, the Universe Today book? So Universe Today uh, is a astronomy outreach, and uh, it's headed up by Fraser Kane, 
and he has an Instagram page called Universe Today, and I think he has a YouTube channel. And so the main author for the book is actually David Dickinson, and Fraser was a co-author. And it's called The Universe Today, The Ultimate Guide to Viewing the Cosmos, Everything You Need to Know to Become an Amateur Astronomer. Oh, I've come across this blog before, actually. Yeah. I have seen, I've read some of their articles. Awesome. And so what's what's really cool about their page uh, on Instagram is they actually let, like if you tag your astro pictures, Universe Today, they pick Instagrammers to basically do takeovers every single day and post three of their pictures. So it's, and I was, I think I was probably one of the earlier first accounts where they started doing that. And that's pretty much how they do the whole page now. So this whole book is actually, I think it's pretty much all pictures from Instagrammers. Oh, whether, really? Yeah. Whether they're professionals or hobbyists. So it was really kind of cool to be a part of that. That is really cool. And they make a new book every so often. It says they have a new book right now. This is the brand new book. It so, just came out. It just came out last month. But they don't do this every year, do they? I don't know if they're going to. I think I think they just wanted to put out this book because they basically they uh, emailed me and said, "Hey, we like this picture and we like another picture. We may or may not use them. If we use them, we'll let you know, and we'll pay you for them." That's and awesome. so, um, so I they told me that my picture is being used for one of the chapter leads, and I didn't know which one because I had given them two pictures, so I didn't know until the book came out. And so when I saw the book, I was like. Okay, freezing that night was completely worth it because I got published. <laughs> you get published, and that's yeah. a huge honor. That's yeah, amazing. And you say he most likely found it from your Instagram feed, huh? Yeah, yeah. So that's another place where hashtags probably worked, huh? Yeah, definitely do the universe today hashtag and be a part of that is is good. Fraser Kane, he has a patron. You guys can go to his Patreon page and also support and keep the blog going. But I have read some great articles from them before. Universe Today didn't seem familiar to me because I read space.com and earthsky.org. But these mm -hmm. guys have some good, some great content. And yeah. I've seen his stuff in the past. And so it'd be awesome. Maybe Fraser Kane would like to get on with me on the podcast someday in the future. That'd be great. When he went on the Astro Photog podcast. But this is good content. And what page what chapter did you open up um i believe let me <laughs> that's I have, funny i'm hoping that it actually includes it on this preview on amazon that i'm looking at right now but i don't think it's going to no it doesn't um let me <laughs> let me pull it up here yeah please do so if you guys are interested in participating in these things they have they have opportunities all over the place that I have never even heard of that you almost have to go looking for. But Universe Today, good hashtag to know. Let's get ourselves and get our content into his next publishing of this. <laughs> if he does anything, even a small magazine, it'd be fun to have that. That'd for be sure. Really cool. So I my chapter lead is actually on Astrophotography 101. Oh, it's, right on. It's on page 150 of the book, and it's also on page... It's it's a full full page on uh, page one sixty three of the picture. So a full page from bleed all the way to the edge of the paper. Yeah. So oh, the whole right nice page, picture. the whole right page is the Crater Lake picture. And what's awesome <laughs> is and and that they point that Fraser pointed out was that, uh, you know, they picked my Milky Way picture. So that that was pretty awesome. Like out of all the Milky Way pictures they could have picked, 
they picked mine. And that's the so, one with the sunrise too. Yeah, yeah. So they even chose one that had less Milky Way visible. Yeah, just because yeah. it was washed out by the Astro Twilight. Because yeah, because they, yeah, they liked that. So going from like the kind of blue hourish Milky Way. That is fantastic. So, so Matt, when you captured this shot and then shared the story, when was the first time anyone talked to you about it? Did you get Fraser Kane already, like from the beginning, finding this, or did it take a few weeks or months before you ever heard back? So, I took the picture in February, and they contacted me in in March. Um, but I didn't. I didn't actually even tell the backstory to the picture. Oh, they just wanted the picture and then yeah, they just it. they just liked the picture, and so that's why I actually wrote about it uh, just this week because I was like, I've never really told this story, and uh, and honestly, okay, so I told you I've been up to Crater Lake probably fifty nights over the last four and a half years. Well, I hadn't been back up to Crater Lake since this experience because it was that intense. Like it left such a bad taste because I ca- actually came home with frost nip on my fingertips. Really. And then the next morning it was sunny and clear. And so I hiked out and I had forgotten sunscreen. So I came back with frost nip on my fingertips <laughs> and sun sunburn on my face and arms and hands. The ultimate oxymoron ironic yes. slap in the face yes. is that you got so, freezing cold to get frost nip and yep. a sunburn. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> so it left it just left a really like bad taste the whole experience in my mouth. And so I was kinda like, okay, I'm taking a break from Crater Lake. And I just went back up there for the first time like two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, a little so, post-traumatic stress. And a little bit, And then you finally yeah. faced it again. Yeah. yeah. Well, I faced it once I realized, okay, it got published. It was worth it. <laughs> Something about being justified, vindicated that brings strength, yes. doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, that is a fantastic story. Let's go ahead and not just take our first break of the podcast. Let's take our only break of the podcast. And we'll talk back. With, we'll come back here with Matthew Newman. Awesome photography. Great story. Let's just focus entirely on that. And we'll come back talking about his Astronomy Photographer of the Year Award, as well as how you and I can get more noticed in that situation. So guys, while we're in the break, during the time we're breaking between segment one and segment two, Matt and I started talking about something that you patrons have to hear. And so I'm throwing this right into the podcast right now. We were talking about him listening to one of our episodes and it got us thinking. I was listening to the episode earlier today that you guys were doing for the people that have been doing photography for four years or more. <laughs> uh, yes. It was funny because we tried to get advice from a bunch of people so we can get like a well-rounded bits yeah. of advice and they all had the same advice as when yeah. photography gets boring or gets like you you know the same same try something new that's yeah. all their minds went to that as to just when you get in a rut when you get bored of it what yeah. advice would do, do you think you'd have advice for that that i could throw in here should we you know i i don't think i would i can understand the rut thing but i i don't think i would have gravitated towards oh i was in a rut I think, I think honestly, I think for me, a big part of it was like, once you get that far in, like I remember originally turning to things like Instagram for inspiration for ideas. Mm, Yeah. But then I also realized I got into it so early that I was basically able to create some of the new ideas. And so, (laughs) so my wheels were turning more in the beginning because it was like, Oh, what can I do that hasn't been done before? And so I still think that way, though. So I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, getting burnt out as much as it is like continue to think outside the box. Oh, yeah, because, you know, everybody shoots the same 
in Astro, for the most part, everybody kind of tends to gravitate towards the same locations. And right. so, like with me at Crater Lake, you know, I'm putting myself in fairly sketchy situations with proper risk management and tools. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, I always think, like, how far off the grid can I go to get something unique? So, how far away from somewhere that everyone's been do you have to go to make it unique? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, the, the kind of the crazy idea that shouldn't be that crazy of like, how do I do something original? And so instead <laughs> of like, changing the like, type of photography, you would change. Make, find, find, find a new composition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that advice is really good, especially when it comes to something that you love doing. Just change it up and find something that you could do to make your stand out. Right. Be different well, from others so, around you. There's plenty of work right there. I'm I'm kind of sidetracking here, but when it comes to like another story, a perfect example would be another Crater Lake story where, (laughs) you know, uh, Milky Way season's over. And so it's like, well, what am I going to do? It's like you can shoot Orion, you can shoot winter constellations. And so I had the idea of, and I did this two two years ago. Uh, As a kid, I always wanted to build an igloo. And yeah, right. there's there's and there's a company that makes an igloo building tool, and so I was like, oh, that's what I'll do. I'll build an igloo at Crater Lake, and I'll shoot the stars at Crater Lake over the igloo. It doesn't matter if the Milky Way core is there or not, <laughs> because have you ever seen an, a picture of an igloo at night at Crater Lake? So no. I'm like, it's completely unique. And so I did it two years ago, and I did it again last year too. And uh, the igloo took me like five and a half hours to build. Um, I actually have time lapses of it up, I think, on my Facebook page of me building the igloo. That's really cool. With your igloo being out there two years ago and you did it again, did you notice a response that was different to the igloo than they had seen in your other photos? Like, did it stand out to them, your audience, as much as it stood out to you? Um, Well, so the first time I did the igloo two years ago, uh, REI actually picked that up and shared that on social media. Wow. And that honestly, it was that was the whole purpose of it for me was just for exposure. You know, do something that hasn't been done that's like crazy. Like, who's going to go build an igloo by themselves for five and a half hours? Not many people, no. And <laughs> so for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to create something unique. And so I I did it last year too. Only last year it was a little bit different. I built the igloo at a different part of the lake, and I actually stayed camped out there for like three nights. <laughs> <laughs> by my by myself snow camping in in April, so Jeez. it was that that was a blast. <laughs> well, that's a really creative idea is to do something that you know no one else has done in a location that's popular, and then yeah. get uh, just different enough that places like REI are going to notice it and go, okay, we gotta we gotta show this off, we gotta see this. Right. I mean, it's not. It's not low on popularity now. It's very popular, but probably the first person to ever put one of those little ball orbs, those glass orbs in front of the right. scene, they right. probably made tons of it, got tons of attention yeah, for their exactly. images the first time they tried that. Yep. So what's yours? What's your ball glass orb? What's your igloo at Crater Lake, guys? What is it going to be that you should try at your favorite location that's different? And if you're thinking about doing... 
Oh, I don't know. I was trying to think on the spot what I would do at Oregon coast off of like secret beach. It would be amazingly different, but I have no idea. I have no ideas yet, but I'm sure a few more long nights to master photography with Brendan. We'll come up with something. Nights. Actually secret beach is a, is a good example. Uh, three years ago I was out with Ben Kaufman, who was my mentor and uh, we were down at secret beach. And so I, I decided I had some steel wool with me. So I was like, well, I'm on the beach. This is a safe place to do steel wool. So I'm Never like, burn anything. Yeah. I'm like, can I do steel wool and get the Milky Way all in single exposure without completely blowing out the exposure? Mm-hmm. And so I just took like the smallest piece of steel wool and I stuck it in my uh, whisk and I lit it and I spun it like three times and it was enough that I was actually able to get the steel wool spin with the Milky Way behind me at Secret Beach. Did you get any cool embers flying off with just that small oh, piece yeah. of it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was shooting, I was still shooting at 6400, but I I was probably even at 28. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, now if I do it, if I do any sort of light painting like that, creative light painting where I'm doing it with the Astro, I'll usually stop down to F4. Okay, just to make sure that you can go longer exposure, longer yeah, shutter, and just not have any issues. Blow out the highlights. Out everything else. Yeah. 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 Smart. Smart. Awesome tips. These are bonus tips, yeah. guys. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast, everyone. Tonight, I am hanging out with Matthew Newman. He's an awesome photographer. In fact, he's so awesome that he is universally accepted as the 2018 Astronomy Photographer of the Year. You are on the Astronomy Photographer of the Year gallery under the 2018 Aurora winners, Matt. First off, what is this Royal Museum's Greenwich, Greenwich Astronomy Photographer of the Year? What is that contest? So the Royal Greenwich uh, Museums in London, England, has one of the oldest observatories in the world, oh, and really? uh, and they host they host an astronomy contest every year, and it's probably the most prestigious astronomy photography contest of the year. Um, they have like ten different categories, uh, ranging from skyscapes to moon, planets, sun. Yeah, it looks like they have Aurora. galaxies winners, our sun, our moon, overall people in space, planets, yeah. comets, asteroids, robotic scope winners of basically star tracking and doing deep sky stars and nebula, skyscapes, mm-hmm. and even a young competition winners. Awesome. Yes. Yes. So, um, it's, it's a, it's a big event. Um, I, my, from what I heard, there were 4,600 entrants into this year's wow. photo contest. 4,600 entrants. Yeah. What would be the total number of winners? Does it change every year? Well, you know, I'm not sure how, well, so winners they have, so I, I just shortlisted. So they have, they have the first place, the second place, then the highly commended, and then the shortlist. And the shortlist, I think for my category consisted of 13 photos total. Awesome. Um, so, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, to, yeah, to, to think that, yeah, I think for all of the categories, I think there was a total of. 134 or 138 pictures chosen for all the categories. They must need to have that many. As you look at what we have here is they produce a book and they have in this very large, nicely printed hardcover book, all of these images. So having 133 is what you would want for like this, what yeah. a coffee table book, basically you describe yeah. it as. Yeah. It's a coffee table book. Um, this 
particular year, the 2018 one is especially awesome because it was also the 10 years of the event. And so it has all of this year's shortlisters and winners, and it has some of the favorite uh, favorites from past years. Oh, yeah. It does say 10 years of the world's best space photography. So, you know, like, I don't know, Mark G, If uh, have you guys had Mark G on? Oh, we have, and we I think, okay, revere I did, I did, the man. He's yeah. awesome. <laughs> so Mark Mark G, actually, I think in 2012 or 13, he actually won, I, I believe he won three categories overall and the overall winner for the entire event that year. And he it was won. his, I, I think it was his first year submitting too <laughs> yeah, so mark was, g won three categories probably the moon it was probably the year that he did that awesome yeah, moon yeah, shot it was probably a moon plus and, overall yeah yeah. And, yeah so i mean he swept it and it's just like <laughs> i mean mark g is amazing so and so you look at this book and you think if there's any one of these books that people should buy the 10-year anniversary the 10-year collection is the book to buy and yeah. you matt actually have one of your images in yeah. there that's freaking yeah. amazing so the the overall winner for the whole contest this year was actually Brad Goldpaint. Oh yeah, um, and uh, it was a beautiful picture. It was a beautiful panorama that he actually captured. I think of one of his students during one of his workshops. Oh wow! I gotta find it. I'm looking in here to see where the, oh, the overall it. winners right there. Yeah, and that I believe Brad it was in Utah shot. too. It does look like it's off of somewhere in the canyon lands. Where is this area? It says, oh, it doesn't say the area, but it does look like a canyon lands place that you, hmm, man, I'm trying to identify it from the shot. Let me see. Let me see if I can find it in my book. Yeah, please do. (laughs) Because that's amazing. He's got a photographer sitting there on a ledge looking out what ends up looking a lot like a Dead Horse Point Canyonlands overlook, but then down below, we don't have any big gooseneck. It's just, it almost is so smooth the way that he's done it. It looks like sand dunes going around in the distance. And so where this view is in Utah, it very much seems, it is definitely Utah, but I can't recognize it from this shot. Yeah. My guess is that it's off of one of the areas of Island in the Sky and it's looking towards the south as the Milky Way is mostly vertical. And so it's just about vertical. They have the moon crazy bright, but you can see Andromeda in this shot. And so where the Milky Way is going, the panorama could complete there, but he's not showing the full panorama. He's focused on that photographer with the moon lighting the terrain. And man, that is beautiful. Does it say in the book where the location of the image is? Let's see. It just says Boab, Utah. It just um, says Boab. So it's Canyonlands for sure. Probably is off of Island in the Sky Overlook then. I'm betting this is just south, or I'm sorry. Yeah, it is south. It's just south of Mesa Arch. One of those areas off of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It probably is. So with your image and you submit, how does this contest go? Do you sell the image to the people who were in the contest? Do they have the rights to the image digital and print? Do you have anything that you need to pay to be a part of the contest? There's there's no entry fee. Um, That's much you, better. You can submit up to 10 photos into any of the categories, like total of 10 photos. So I submitted 10 photos, and I think I submitted into uh, – like three of the different categories. And the Aurora picture that they picked for the shortlist was actually like kind of an afterthought when I posted it. I was like, because uh, I always I always wait until the last minute, like literally like the last hours before the deadline to submit. <laughs> and so uh, 
yeah, so it was kind of I was really surprised that that was the picture that was picked, even though it's a beautiful picture. So when I asked about the Aurora earlier, you mentioned it was the May Aurora. Now, I want you to tell more stories about that. I'm kind of jumping the gun saying anything. But my question is, does your image, when you submit it, have to come from a specific year? So It does. So uh, for like next year's uh, contest, I believe it has to be photos from January 1st of 2018 up until the deadline to enter. So basically everything you've taken this year. So I really could still submit my, my most favorite Milky Way shot of us, our selfies out there at the salt flats. I could submit that image. Yeah. If you took it this year, you totally could for next year. And I think they, I think they open in, they're probably open entries in, um, January or February, I believe. And then the deadline I think is March maybe. Oh my gosh, that gets me so excited because when I saw this 2018, I thought, oh, I missed it. This is from 2018 images, but then I've been seeing an eclipse shot right here. And right. That was 2017. Right. And then you got your shot from the May eclipse or the May right. Aurora. That's 2017. Right. So that's great news. Yeah. All yeah. of you guys, your favorite images right now that you're holding on to. This is a free to enter, just 10 images. Send them in. Mm-hmm. What did they uh, yeah. require of you to do? Any sort of uh, send us the raw along with the final? How if, did they let yeah. panoramas? Any rules? Uh, well, they. I did see a couple panoramas. They don't seem to. It doesn't seem like they pick panoramas very often. Um, but for the most part, it's uh, if they pick your picture, they're probably going to ask you for the raw file just okay. to confirm everything. And they're pretty, they're pretty picky. So, I mean, if you're doing like crazy composites, oh, yeah, this, prob- this, this probably isn't the contest for you because this is kind of more like pure astronomy related stuff. So, um, I think composites, you'll take star trails and stuff. Um, if you're doing stacked with your star trails, uh, but for the most part, everything else is, you know, like for the wide field stuff, it's almost all pretty much single exposure. There were a few that were like exposure blends, but um, most of them is like single exposure stuff. So oh, right on. Well, yeah. then let's get talking about yours. You won yeah. in the class of, and you mentioned it with the word just. I was just shortlisted. Come on, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. It's freaking yeah. amazing that you're shortlisted. <laughs> well, so yeah, that's true. It's kind of it's it's this crazy thing because uh, my mentor Ben Kaufman of Ben Kaufman Photography out of Portland, Oregon, he he was the one that originally told me like the first year he's like, you got to enter this contest. Cause he like encouraged me big time to like take the leap. Cause he saw what I was already doing when I took a workshop with him and he's like, with what you already know, you need to keep going. And so I had followed his work for like a year and a half. And so once he That's told cool. me that I was like, okay, it's a game on. I'm like, this is what <laughs> I'm doing. And, uh, yeah. So he was the one that encouraged me to do it originally. And then I realized just how like prestigious of, uh, photo contest it really was for astronomy and so it's really the only contest i take the time to enter each year which is kind of crazy with some of the shots i take well it's great that it doesn't have a fee those contests that have a fee feel like they're just grabbing money it's a money grab and then this contest feels more like it's really celebrating the photography and they're not and astronomy for oh yeah astronomy i mean Mm. astronomy i mean it's that it's all about the astronomy and they have like big cash prizes too 
aside like, from really? the paper cuts, I would sleep with this book. That's how much I love astronomy. And this book <laughs> yeah. is treating it to be just something is for you guys. If you want to make astronomy religion, this is your Bible. All yeah. these images of this beautiful 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 night sky uh yes please how do i get a hold okay i'm gonna ask this question in the end but i want to hear more your image describe it to us i mentioned already it's the may aurora and it's in the aurora category what is the image that won okay so i i the aurora notifications were flying uh (laughs) i was seeing i was seeing east coast photographers european photographers like the auroras are going off it's insane and they were already posting pictures on facebook anytime that happens you just drop whatever you're doing and you drive north (laughs) and for me that's not even that far north and uh driving from medford to get up to crater lake yeah so it takes me about an hour and a half to get up there that's nothing Yeah. And so I just hopped in the car. It was Memorial Day weekend and everybody's like, it's going nuts. I'm seeing all these pictures and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to Crater Lake. I had gone out and shot the Milky Way the night before because it was a new moon and I was completely exhausted because I was up all night. And I'm like, there's, I'm like, there's no way I'm going out tomorrow. And then I saw the notifications (laughs) and it's like, okay, it's time to go. It dictates what you're going to do now. (laughs) Yeah. And so I had planned actually when I got up there, I was going to actually ride my bike up the road because they only had the road open to Discovery Point. And so I was going to ride my bike up and snowshoe up to the Watchmen again. Up the crazy (laughs) hike. uh, Because the very first time I shot that is the picture behind me, the lights too. And that, that picture actually has some faint aurora in it. And so that was, so I was like, Ooh, I can redo this only like it's with, with like two more years of knowledge so I can make it better. (laughs) And I ended up riding my bike up there and I saw that there were a couple other bikes parked there and I started snowshoeing up the snow and the snow was really soft and sketchy. So I just turned around and I was like, Nope, not going up there. I shot a pano from the Wizard Island Overlook, and then I rode my bike back down to Discovery Point. Well, I get back to Discovery Point, and there's probably 20 photographers lined up, but they're all pointing south. They're all shooting the Milky Way. And so I'm riding up on my bike, and I said, hey, guys, turn your cameras to the left. Oh, I bet they were freaking out when their cameras showed the picture. So everybody turns their camera to the left because I said, turn your cameras left. The auroras are going off. And they're like, what? And so everybody turns the cameras <laughs> left. And everybody's like, whoa, just freaking out. Oh, that's got to be insane. I mean, to, for the this exact same aurora, we saw it in southern Utah at Escalante. And so uh, if we could see it like that in southern Utah, and you guys are up at Crater yeah. Lake, when they turned yeah. the camera over, they must have seen three-fourths of their frame filled with color. Oh, yeah. No, it was it was incredible. Um, it and at the point that these guys all started taking pictures to the north, we could actually see um, white pillars of light, columns of light that went as high as Polaris, so all the way to the North Star. Oh, wow! And we could we could see those with the naked eye. And the color, like in a ten second exposure, it was like nothing but color. And <laughs> the whole the whole lake reflected the color perfect too, because it was super still up there that night. That's so beautiful. And uh, so this particular picture, I basically I hung out with all these people because they're all just going nuts. There they're was like I, your feet because you told them about it and they had no idea. <laughs> well, there were like eight or ten of them, and it was a group from Hawaii. 
Uh, and so they were just excited because they're like, we're at Crater Lake, we're shooting the Milky Way, and now we're shooting the Auroras. So it's like, <laughs> so I ended up just, we were all excited, just kind of hung out. And then I realized, wait, I'm not really taking pictures. I'm just like hanging out. So I drove down the road and I set up a time lapse to run until daylight. That's and, where we getting some of the light on the horizon. Yeah. And so that shot is actually just before, you know, dawn. And, uh, I was taking a nap, <laughs> letting the camera, <laughs> letting the camera do the work. Yes. And so I go back and I, I looked at that picture and I loved the picture so much because the stars reflected perfectly on the lake and the lake's five and a half miles wide, you know, so to have stars reflecting off the water like that of all the times I've been there, you only see that, you know, ever so often. Yeah. You, you get guys, if you haven't done it before, you need an intimate body of water close to the camera to capture yeah. a real good reflection. And when you see stars like this in the distance, it's typically reflecting in Crater Lake as a planet and it's choppy. And so the planets show up as these long streaks and you see some colors there, but you don't see stars dotted. Like pinpoint stars. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. This is really unique to see it like so. that. And so if you guys don't have the image up already and you're not checking the show notes over at photography adventures.com forward slash EP one zero three. Those show notes, if you hear it on Monday, it's probably not up yet. It'll be up later in the afternoon or the next day. But these, this image, you could see the north, like your Sea Wizard Island, it blends in with the rim and you're looking almost directly north. And you can see that they're on the other end of the Milky Way galaxy. You can see Cassiopeia. And then the trees are framing what is a gradient from white snow, reflected white snow, and reflected Wizard Island to a purple. But then the upper other upper part of the image where it goes to the sky, it has an orange horizon line all along. So from orange to pink to purple to dark sky, all gradient filled and beautiful looking. It is just, I, I know why they could not resist to put this on their list of images that they will print because this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So... so. With this shot being a 30-second exposure and you have yeah. people worried like myself, Rob Bryan, we worry about star trailing. I mean, this has got to have some small trailing in the stars, and yet it has absolute zero bearing on the quality of this image. I can't right. see it. I can't zoom in and see it. It just looks awesome. And 30 seconds brings out all that color that you need. Yeah. So oh, yeah. fantastic shot, Matt. Thank you. So when you get when you win something like this, how do you even know? Do you find out when they reveal it on a website or do they contact you separately? Okay, so this this was probably the hardest part of the whole contest is <laughs> you submit your entries in the end of March and you know I think the first or second week of April if you're shortlisted okay. because because they'll say, "Hey, we want a raw file. We want to see see what it what it really was, blah blah blah." So yeah, they contacted me. They said, you're shortlisted. Send us a raw file. I sent them the raw file. And they're like, okay, well, now you know you're shortlisted, but you can't tell anybody until July when we announce the shortlist. Oh, you can't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so you literally like wait until July. And then and then the, they announced the winners in October. So it was like basically I had to wait. You, know, you could have been all the year. overall winner and had no idea. Right. Right. Whoa. It was, yeah. So, you know, and they have a big event there at the, uh, the Royal Museum Observatory. And so I was invited, but I, I didn't have the means to be able to go out there. So as you know, a shortlist member, you get invited to go up to London oh, yeah. and be there. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody that's, everybody that's shortlisted is invited to the event. 
Oh man, yeah. you should have done a GoFundMe, man. We would have all know, helped you I out. I, I mean, know, it would have seemed selfish. I understand it's hard to do something like that, but yeah. we would have been stoked for you. <laughs> so when you go there, they announce the overall winners and everything at that point, and so you yeah. know you're shortlisted among others, but you don't know where that's going to put you. Right. So once you're shortlisted, are you for sure in the magazine and it's yes. on the shortlist? And so, so everybody that's shortlisted makes the book. Uh, put out here. Oh, I lost you so, on Skype for a second. Say that again. Oh, everyone who's shortlisted. Every everyone who's shortlisted is in the book that they put out each year. Okay. So awesome. yeah. So that to to me, I mean, it's like even if you don't win, that's like the biggest prize because they yeah. publish these books, they sell them in the Royal Museum there, and you can you can order them on Amazon, but I don't think they release until March of next year. It's everything that you wanted to happen. You were going to the contest yeah. for it. And so yeah. it's amazing. Oh, yeah. So you've already know that, but you can't tell anyone until July. And then from right. that point, you're just hoping that when they announce it at this event, uh, what category, where am I at? Where, yeah. what, which image? You don't even know which image, do you? Yeah. No. So, so I mean, they. I think they live streamed the winners on Twitter as they were doing the event. Wow, they're and really so, times that they're doing Twitter live streaming. Yeah, so I happened to hop on there and I was like, oh, I didn't win. But I was like, they did a post like event uh, Facebook live. And so oh. I watched I watched the whole thing and I kind of chimed in a couple of times and they chimed back like, That's thanks for your cool. picture. And, you know, so, yeah, it was awesome. That's amazing. I, I am so excited right now that, that this next contest has not been taken yet. And everything yeah. I've done in 2018, there's some things I can share. Oh, I'm excited. And there's yeah, still things I can capture because it. it's uh, up until the end of the year, right? So anything I capture between well, now all and the way, all the way up until you, the deadline to submit. So, so really, oh. if you shoot all the way into March, you know, January, February, March, like so, I, I've shot Milky Way in January before. Oh, right. Yeah. And, you know, and so like January, February, March, I mean, you could still have stuff that you can enter from that. That so, is really, 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 really cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So in the end, you have a printing of this. Did you have to pay for it yourself or did they at least give you that? No, they sent me a copy of the book. So I have the book. I believe the book, if you buy it on Amazon, I believe is $40, but the quality of this book is phenomenal. Yeah, seeing it on your Facebook page, if you guys go to a link I'm going to give you when he posts this, he posts the story and he shares the books. You see the Cosmos book that came from the guys who are at Universe Today, and then you see the Collins printing of the Royal Museum's Greenwich book of the Astronomy Photographer of the Year, and that's so sweet, so sweet. Oh my gosh, we could go on and on for hours just <laughs> loving this, but I'm going to take too much time, too much of your time. You've already been hanging out with me for an hour and a half. Let's go ahead and bypass the chance to talk more about more stories and just promise that we'll have Matthew Newman back. You're okay with coming back with us? Absolutely. Sounds great. Brendan would love to have you on with you. He yeah. didn't get a chance to join you this time, so we've got to have you back. But let's sure. do go to that question that I offered you, that yeah. question of, well, if you look at all the stuff you learned in Milky Way photography and all the stuff you learned in social media, is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew back at the beginning? I would have to say that I'm happy with what I did in the beginning because I dedicated so much time. And so all how, I can how do you say you dedicated so much time? You kind of described it to me earlier, but let the listeners know, what do you mean by how much time you dedicated? So... First off, before I even took my first Milky Way shot, I spent like three or four months Google searching like how to shoot night photography because back in 2014, you couldn't find that information online. Oh, yeah. It's crazy how it's yeah. the last four years it's been everywhere. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And so that was that was the first part where I really kind of committed. And then when I started shooting in 2014, I basically I had a brand new car. And in, in two years, I put 60,000 miles on my car driving around shooting Whoa. pictures. In two so, years, you drove 60,000 miles? Yes, yes. <laughs> and I was I was working a full-time day job too. So I, the, I was actually put in more hours into my night photography than I did my day job. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> uh, yeah, and it was it was crazy. So I guess my best tip and advice is just get out there and get the practice and don't be afraid to like try new things. Um, and if you're looking for like all the information that I spent searching for for months, I actually put together a night photography cheat sheet over on my website. I did notice and, that on your on your website and I would love to link everybody to yeah. it. It's, I, I decided it was, you know, something I put together this, this spring I was working on and I just wanted a resource where if somebody is interested in getting into night photography, it's all in one place and kind of like everything that I learned those few months of searches, plus everything that I really learned in real life experience to help get you started. And, uh, it seemed like one of those things where, uh, you know, most people would be like, do I charge people for this? But honestly, I just want people to get out there and, you know, start capturing the stars. Exactly. You know? it, it so, get more of us out there. And this is yeah. absolutely generous of you. And guys, if so, you're thinking about it, it's one part that I love about his cheat sheet, just looking at it right now, is it's digestible. It's not something that is 17 pages of blogging <laughs> of 17,000 words. It's, it's just a quick bulleted list, experiences, crop camera sensor knowledge, lenses, a cheat sheet of the rule of 500. He's got shutter speeds, ISO settings, optional items, things that you need. And it's just a nicely, quickly digestible tips that maybe you already know, but will be reminded of. So I yeah. definitely recommend you guys taking a look through this. Yeah. After I read it, I actually gave it to my 15 year old daughter and said, okay, read this and tell me if it makes sense. And she's <laughs> like, yeah, I totally get it. Oh, that's perfect. So, I mean, that yeah. is a good way to know that it, yeah. it connects with people who'd have no clue. Yeah. So we're just mentioning your website right now. We've had an awesome time hanging out with you, Matt. So if people want to learn more about you and follow your photography, repeat all the places that we keep talking about and the places that they can find you online. All right. So my website is MatthewNewmanPhotography.com. Uh, Instagram, you can find me at, at Matthew Newman Photography. Uh, on Twitter, which I don't use very often, but I do have a Twitter account. It's M. Newman Photo. Uh, and same over at Facebook. It's just MatthewNewmanPhotography.com. Sweet. I see that you have workshops and private instruction. Do you do workshops with anybody else or just solo and you have a few people? Just solo, and I'm going to be taking clients up to six clients per workshop. Awesome. And I'm and I'm going to be adding uh, locations as the year progresses, because I'm uh, in the process of getting some commercial use authorizations for some of the parks. Yep, that's a process. It's a fun process. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, th so, so freaking fantastic to learn from you, Matt, tonight and hang out. I feel like you mentioned it earlier that uh, Ben Kaufman was your mentor. And I feel yeah. like you've been a mentor to all of us. We've been your protege. Thanks for <laughs> helping us learn. A lot of Milky Way photography to end the year, guys. But I hope you'll take this and inspire yourself with, okay, Christmas wish list. I need this lens. need this camera body. I want to do this. I want to do more Milky Way photography next year. Get excited for it and get as best of pictures as you possibly can out before March of next year, because we're all going to be yeah. on the short list, right? 
for yeah, all. Now, now, next year we'll have 8,600 entrants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys. If you enjoy this content, you are pa- okay. I can't even say that line because you're all patrons listening to this podcast. So thank you guys so much. Thanks to you guys. We are able to produce this content and keep going with Photog Adventures. And so thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to doing it again, sharing more tips with you guys. Can't wait to have you back, man. Hope you guys all have a good week. We'll be back on our Wednesday episode here in a couple days. We'll see you guys all later. Bye.